we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, I want us to take our Bible and go this morning to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. And find, if you would, the 21st chapter. We are continuing our study of the life of David. And had I selected a text that would be more fitting for this day, I I don't think I could have found one uh, more fitting than the text that we come to in our study of the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And we'll begin reading in verse number 15, 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse number 15. The Bible says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And Ishbi Benob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jar-a-Oregim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. The staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. I want you to notice some phrases that we find repeated in this passage. Notice, if you would, in verse number 15. The Bible says, moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Then we note, if you would, in verse number 18. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines. Then we see in verse 19. And there was again a battle in Gob. And then also in verse 20. There was yet a battle in Gath. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. There was war again. Let's pray together. And as we pray, would you ask God to speak to your heart? Ask the Lord to help me as I preach his word. I pray, Father, today that you would help us as we've gathered around your word. 
May the Lord Jesus Christ be our preacher and teacher. May the Holy Spirit illuminate us and give us understanding that we would receive your truth. And I pray that we would remove from our minds all distractions. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to submit our will to you. And we pray you'll accomplish your purpose in our lives through your word as we seek to preach it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, David, if you'll remember, burst onto the scene in the Valley of Elah. The shepherd boy who had turned into quite the soldier, although it was unknown, he had killed a lion and a bear taking care of his father's sheep. He was quite a musician. He had played to soothe Saul's troubled soul. But he was a soldier, a mighty soldier. We know he was a prayer warrior and a poet because we have the book of the Psalms before us that we value and treasure. Among them we think of the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. And David was a gifted man. He was a godly man. He was a man who was after God's own heart. And he was a courageous man. And while none of Saul's soldiers would answer the challenge and step forward and face the giant in the valley of Elah, Goliath, if you'll remember, he was the first giant that we're introduced to here in the life of David. These other giants that we read about come later and are recorded for us here in 2 Samuel 21. But David stepped forward to face the giant, the sons of the giant, the Rephaim. You can trace them to Genesis 14. And here we find Goliath's relatives in first, or in 2 Samuel 21 alive and well, one of them his, his very own brother. They were the sons of the giant who remains unnamed. But David stepped forward to take on Goliath. Goliath was a man over nine and a half feet tall, approaching 10 feet, a very large man, a brave warrior, a mighty warrior, a powerful foe who had intimidated an entire army and a 17-year-old or somewhere near there, shepherd boy, steps forward with a sling and five smooth stones and a staff in his hand and he says, I'll go fight him. Well, the giant disdained him, and he, he cursed the gods of Israel. And he said, are you coming to me with sticks and stones? And David said, no, you're coming to me with a sword, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. He said, today is the last day for you, Goliath. I'm taking off that ugly head from your body, and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And a great victory was wrought. David wound that sling and let that stone fly. It hit the giant in the head and over he fell. And David took, he ran and took that big sword of Goliath out of, his, out of the sheath and he, and he severed the head of Goliath and he held it up. And the Philistines ran and the Israelites remained free. 
there would be struggle for many years between the Philistines. In fact, that happened as David burst onto the scene. But as we come to 2 Samuel 21, we find that David is, well, I don't know if we would say he was an old man, but he was an aging man. Beyond his 50th year, and the battle still rages. Now, the Bible says that David uh, was, would be the king, the Lord said, that would deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. And David had won many victories over the Philistines. In fact, he had nearly rendered their army incapable. But as long as these giants were in the land, the Philistines would make their rallies gather some men together and go with the giant and pick another fight. And we read in this occasion that four of those giants picked a fight with the nation of Israel. And in each time, God gave victory. The Philistines really represent for us our spiritual foes. For we, the Bible tells us, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood but we wrestle with principalities and powers. We wrestle with demonic forces. And those demonic forces are at work today in our nation and in our land. And though Satan is a defeated foe, and let me remind you that he is a defeated foe, Jesus may have suffered the bruise on his heel, but Jesus, the Son of God, crushed the head of the serpent. He bore our sins in his body. He died on the cross. He shed his blood to make the payment for our sin. He was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he arose and he conquered sin and death and hell. And he defeated and crushed the head of the serpent. And if you put your faith and trust in him today, he will save you from your sin and give you a home in heaven with him. Well, that day, Jesus Christ secured for us our victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But though we share in his victory, we need to understand that we still have an adversary. And though he is a defeated foe, he continues to fight. And we may have experienced some battles in our lives and we may come to the point where we think we've kind of gotten beyond that. But the truth is we will never get beyond that. There will always be battles to fight. The word of God reminds us of that here in 2 Samuel 21. There was war again and again and again and again. Well, I want to draw your attention to four lessons that I think we learned from this passage. And I pray that God by his spirit will use them in our hearts. Number one, I want you to see that the attacks of the enemy are persistent. The attacks of the enemy are persistent. Four times in these verses we read, that there was war again, that there was a battle again, that there was another battle, and, and then in verse 20, and there was yet a battle. Uh, Matthew Henry, speaking of this chapter, writes this, 
Though he, speaking of David, had so subdued them, the Philistines, that they could not bring any great numbers into the field, meaning the field of battle. Yet as long as they had any giants among them to be their champions, they would never be quiet, but took all occasions to disturb the peace of Israel, to challenge them or make incursions upon them. That's the work of the devil. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, he cannot defeat you. He cannot destroy you. But I will tell you that he will work against you. And Satan certainly works against us. Now, as I said a moment ago, he can't have our soul, but Satan can certainly work against us in the realm of our mind. The Bible speaks of the fact that in this spiritual struggle that we're in, that Satan likes to build strongholds in our lives. And he builds those strongholds in the realms of our mind and the way we think, the way we look at life, the way we view life. The Bible speaks about casting down imaginations and every thought that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Our imaginations, our thoughts, our knowledge, all of that is in the realm of our thinking and our mind. And the Bible tells us that we're to think on things, heavenly things, good things. The Bible tells us how that we can learn and discipline our hearts and minds to think upon the good things. But there will always be giants who want to come against us and war against us because, as Matthew Henry said, they desire to disturb our peace, to disrupt us, to hinder us, to discourage us. And if, as we read in this passage, giant after giant came after David and the men of Israel. I thought about some of those giants that come against us. The giant of lust and temptation. He steps forward in our lives, does he not? He says, what you have is not enough. God should give you more. The spouse that you have is not enough. That lady in the office, that man in the office, that person next door, he, he seeks to, to, to lead us astray with lust and temptation. Our young people are carried away in this age and in every age. Youthful lust, the Bible speaks of, but are carried away with lust. The entire social media industry and the entertainment industry is built upon this giant of lust and temptation. By the way, it doesn't just have to be sexual lust. It could be lust for things. The more we have, the more we want. The eyes of man, the Bible tells us, are never satisfied. It seems like no matter what God has given us, we just want more. And the giant of lust comes and he steps forward. Well, the giant of distraction, who's a brother to the giant of lust, he steps forward too to cause us to think about other things, to get our mind off what God has placed us here to do. We are to serve the Lord. God established the nation of Israel for his glory. 
He told them what their mission was. It was to make him known in all the earth. They were to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. How were they to be a blessing? By telling other nations about the true and the living God, by giving the precepts that God had given to them to other nations. God has commissioned the church to do the same task, to make the Lord Jesus Christ known, to preach his gospel, to preach his word, to teach converts, to follow Christ and obey his commands. But oftentimes, the giant of distraction steps forward and tells us, get your mind off of that. Get your mind on yourself. Get your mind on other things. Forget about what God has called you to do. Pursue other pursuits. And we get distracted from our purpose. There are those who used to faithfully serve God who no longer have a place of ministry. They've allowed other things to come in and distract them from their purpose. There were those who once read and faithfully prayed. There were those who served and witnessed to the lost, but no longer do they do that. No longer do they do that. They've been distracted from their purpose. Other things have allured them. Then comes the giant of discouragement. He steps forward and he says, everything you're trying to do, Everything you're trying to, every effort that you're making is yielding no results. You're seeing no fruit. Nobody seems to care. So why should you? This is the way God speaks, or excuse me, this is the way the giant speaks to the servants of the Lord. Why don't you just quit? What difference can you make? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to serve God? These are the questions of the giant. Well, then another giant comes forward. This is the giant of gossip and rumor. He steps forward. He spins tales. He te constantly tears down and, and criticizes and, and, and brings innuendo to disrupt the harmony and the fellowship of God's people. Oh, he's a giant in your life, and he must be slain. Then comes the giant of deception. He's a twin of the giant of gossip and rumor. Because what he desires to do is cause us to be convinced that every, every message of gossip and every rumor that we hear is absolutely true. And accept it as the truth without ever questioning it. He deceives us in the realm of our minds to believe a reality that is no reality at all. And then the giant of discontentment stepped forward. And he says, don't you want more? Don't you want something else other than this? And Matthew Henry says it this way, the enemies of God's people are often very strong, very subtle, and very sure of success. But thanks be unto God, there is no strength, no counsel, nor confidence that will prevail against the Lord. So how do I deal with these giants, Pastor? You deal with these giants with the sword of truth. What's going to silence them? The truth of God's word. So arm and equip yourselves with that sword. The attacks of the enemy are persistent. They don't stop. He comes against us.
He comes against our home. He comes against us in our family life, in all of our relationships. He comes against us in the harmony and unity of a local New Testament church. Satan is always at work, and we need to recognize that. The attacks of the enemy are persistent. Well, I think we learned another lesson, and that is that the responsibilities of leadership are heavy. The responsibilities of leadership are heavy. Well, we find here that the giants come in verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. The Bible says in verse 16, And Ishbi Benob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass. I didn't do a conversion on that. I have done it before. I don't seem to remember exactly what the weight of that was, but let me assure you it's more than any of us could handle. And here's a man who's throwing a spear with precision. He's using it as an instrument of war, 300 shekels in weight. And he's girded with a new sword. And notice what his intentions were. He thought to have slain David. The enemy set his sights on the king. The king. Now the king had already won the victory, right? He'd already defeated the Philistines. He'd already defeated Goliath. But yet the enemy was still at work. And I want you to know, though Jesus has overcome the devil, though he has defeated him, though we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, the enemy continues his assault, and he has his sights set on the king. Now, he can't harm the king, but he's working against the king and his kingdom. He's working against the people of the king. He wants to inflict pain upon the church, the believer. He wants to inflict pain and wounds on the leadership within the church, the pastors, uh, the assistant pastors, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, and the workers, those who labor in the choir, those who work in the nursery and serve, those who are in the wonderfully made class or work with the children's ministries or the bus ministry. Satan wants to work against you. He has his sights set on you. He wants to break down the leadership of the Christian church and the Christian home. Father, dad, he's got his eyes on you. He wants to weaken you. He wants to attack you. He wants to divide father and mother. He wants to get in the midst of the kids and, and do damage and bring destruction. This is the way that the giant works. He's looking for a weakness. He's looking for a moment that he can seize just a crack in the door where he can enter in with a new sword and a heavy spear and inflict pain and damage lives. This is what the devil is seeking to do. Amen. And after a while, we just get tired, don't we? Tired of the struggle. Tired of the fight. 
tired of the pressure. Tired of the temptation. There's another giant out there. There's another giant. What did you hear the news? There's another giant. And we just want to break. We just want to step aside. But we can't. There's too much at stake. David, now a man well up in his 50s, most likely, maybe approaching 60, if not there already. We commend him for his leadership. There was a time when he didn't go out to battle. We know what happened there, don't we? But now the battle has arisen, and where do we find David? We find him in the front. We find him leading the way with sword in hand. And he comes against the Philistines, and he comes against Ishbibanab. And Ishbibanab pulls his new sword out of his sheath, and he says, I'm going to get him. He got my favorite Uncle Goliath. And I'm going to make him pay. And the Bible tells us that David waxed faint. We get tired. Our hands get heavy. Moses, standing on the top of the mount, was told, Moses, as long as your hands are up, with the rod of God in your hand, as long as your hands are up, down in the valley below, the children of Israel will experience victory over the Amalekites. And Moses held his hands up in intercession for his people unto the Lord, and they prevailed. But Moses' hands began to grow heavy. And friends, we get weary in the battle but there's hope for us. And that leads us to a third lesson that we learn. And that is this. The help of God's servants makes the difference. The help of God's servants makes the difference. Let's look again in verse 15. The Philistines are at war now with Israel. David has gone down. His servants are fighting. David has waxed faint. Ishbi Benob, with a new sword in hand, decides he's going after David. And it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for David. Verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him. That's not a word we use every day. In fact, it's probably a word you don't use most days, if any days. It simply means he helped him. He helped him. Abishai saw what was happening. He saw his king weary in battle, not as valiant, I mean, as, as brave as he used to be, yes, but not as able, not as swift, not as powerful as he once was. And Abishai said, I better go help the king. I better go help my leader. And so he went and he fought alongside his king. Matthew Henry, again, 
has so many wonderful things in this passage to say. Let me read this one. David fainted, but he did not flee. <laughs> Though his strength failed him, he bravely kept his ground. And then God sent him this help in the time of need. I want to say this to you. Sometimes we get weary in the battle and we don't know what to do but just cry out for help. And you might be there right now. Weary. Ishbi Banab is coming after you. The sword is wielded. You can feel, you can almost anticipate the blow of his blade. And you're crying out for God to help you. Let me tell you that God hears your cry and God will help. You see, you're not alone. Look around. Most of the people in this auditorium have someone immediately next to them, either to the right or to the left. You're not alone. We're in this together. By the way, more than the fact that we can help one another, Jesus helps us. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You're not alone. You may feel alone. By the way, that's one of those giants that come against you. You may feel alone, but let me tell you that you're not alone. God is with you, and God's people are for you. Now imagine, imagine if David had said to uh, this young man, Abishai, if David had said, you know what, Joab's your brother. I don't want anything to do with you. Because Joab was his brother. He said, I, I, don't, I don't need your help. And by the way, that is the mentality of some Christians. But here comes Abishai to help him. What if David said, oh, I got this. No, no, David, you don't have this. You're really struggling. Let me come alongside and help you. You see, David received the help. And because he received the help, he was able to win the victory. And oftentimes as a church, we try to support one another. We encourage people. I'm thinking of someone right now that we are trying to help and others in our church are trying to help. But no matter what we do, it seems like that help is not going to be received. Someone may say to me, how many people attend your church? Or how many people are under your leadership? You're the pastor of and I would say, well, there are this many people who are under the leadership or in, in attending our church. And I may serve as a pastor, but I, I'm not everybody's pastor. I want to be. But I can only be the pastor of the people who allow me to be. I can't force myself upon people. And we can't force ourselves on others. That never works, does it? But we can run beside them and say, here we are. We're here to help you. But they have to be willing to take the help. David received the help. By the way, Abishai was willing to give it. And we need to be willing to help people. Do you see somebody that's fainting? Do you see someone who's struggling? You need to start praying for them, don't you? You need to ask God to give you wisdom on how you can help them. And then as God leads you, you need to get in the battle with them. You need to come beside them. You need to be for them and fight with them. Well, he fought alongside David. 
And while David was waxing faint, Abishai compensated for the king's weakness and he protected the king. Kenneth Chafin writes this. He says, ours is a culture that seems to have lost sight of the importance of leaders. Rather than protect them, we seem to try to bring them down. Well, that's the world we live in, is it not? Jude told us this would happen. He said, they speak evil of dignities. We want to tear down the police force. We want to defund the police. And then we wonder why people run uh, through the shopping centers and the shopping malls and take anything they want. Or why the criminals can just randomly assault people on the streets or murder them. And there doesn't seem to be any restitution because you've torn down authority. You see, when you tear it down, when you tear down the leadership, then everybody suffers. This kind of mentality has crept into the church. It's crept into the church. There's an entire social media podcast industry designed to tear down church leadership. That so many have bought into and been corrupted by. No leader is perfect. David is not perfect. David sinned, did he not? And God dealt with him in his sin. David, David suffered greatly. But what did these men do? They didn't tear their king down. They didn't say, well, you got it coming to you, David. It's my time to reign. No. They helped him. You see, they understood something. For all those years, they suffered under the leadership of Saul. God had given more years than that where they were blessed under the years of the leadership of David. And they knew that as David prospered, they prospered. That's why they said to him in verse 17, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. They enjoyed the benefits of that leadership. Let me tell you, Father, if you go down, the kids are going down. You hear me? If you give in, the kids are going to suffer. If the leadership of this church goes down, this church is going to suffer. We need faithful men and women to serve God, to stand in the gap, and may God help us to do it together. The giants are coming against us, and there are many more on the horizon. I think about this. When, when Saul looked down in the valley and he saw Goliath with his fist in the air defying the name of God and the armies of Israel, there wasn't a soldier on that hill who would go. But now a generation later, you have David still fighting the giants, and you have four men who are recorded here who go into battle against those giants. Let me tell you, this is no time for us to get squeamish. This is a time for us to take a bold and courageous stand, not an ugly stand, but a bold and courageous stand for truth and righteousness. We cannot afford to get weary and quit, for in due season, we shall reap if we faint not.
What do we learn here? Brave fathers produce brave sons. And if we want sons to be able to engage in the battle, then that means we've got to be brave now. So we're learning some things, right? Well, number one, what are we learning? The attacks of the enemy are persistent. He's coming time and time again. He's fighting from a position of defeat. He's fighting to annoy and hinder us, to vex us. Number two, the responsibilities of leadership are heavy. And thirdly, the help of God's servants makes the difference. And then finally this, God gives victory to his people. It's God who gives the victory. In verse 17, would you read it with me? But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, suckered him and smote the Philistine and killed him. The enemy was defeated. Look again in verse 18, in the middle portion of the verse, then Sibachai the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. Verse 19, there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of J.R. Oregon, the Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite. He slew him, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in verse 20 in Gath. and verse 21, when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. Look in verse 22. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. You see, a brave soldier produced brave servants. And those brave servants fought. And God, the same God who was with David in the valley of Elah, when he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, that same God enabled those four boys or those four young men to fight the giants and overcome them. They did so in the power and strength of God. Again, Matthew Henry says, it is the folly for the strong man, it is folly rather for the strong man to glory in his strength David's servants were no bigger nor stronger than other men. These guys, these four, they, they, they were, there was no physical differences perhaps in them than the other soldiers of David, but yet they fought. But how did they fight? He writes, by divine assistance. They mastered one giant after another. And then he says this, God chooses by the weak things to confound the mighty. Well, that's what he told us in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, right? Not many mighty, not many noble. You see your calling. Just plain, ordinary, simple, everyday people. Weak instruments. Paul said, Lord, would you remove this thorn from me? It's a hindrance to me. People don't want to hear me speak. I'm I'm unsightly. Would you, remove, would you remove this thorn? He prayed three times. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, my power is made perfect in your weakness. David was faint. I just can't move like I used to. I just can't fight like I used to. I just can't do this anymore. It's the perfect opportunity for God to step in 
and say, you're right, you never could. Let me take over and I will prevail. Now listen, David had to put that sword in his hand and so did Abishai and Sibachai and, and, and the rest of them. And we have a sword and we better put it in our hand and we better put it in our heart. And we can't let the giant of distraction keep us from it. We need to fill our heart and mind with the truth of God's word. If we're going to prevail, we have to do our part. And God will do his part. His strength will be made perfect in our weakness. And may God help us to look to him. There's war and there'll be war again. Another giant. Another battle. But God is faithful. And he will help us. And we will prevail. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning. And you're wondering, are, am I ever going to experience the victory? Discouragement. Defeat. Depression. God is here. God is able. And if you'll come and cast yourself upon him, confess your iniquities to him, he'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. And if you'll take up your sword and look to him every day in faith, stay faithful to God. Stay in the army, surrounded by those who can help you. You can walk in victory. This church can fulfill its mission. Your marriage can be restored. Your children's lives can change course. Your perspective can be changed. But it won't happen unless you take up the sword, unless you stand against the giant. So may God help us today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You've never put your faith and trust in Him. There is no victory for you. But today you can come and enlist in His army. You can come and declare your intention to receive Him as your Savior, to make Him your King. And I've got some good news for you. If you'll come, He will save you. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. All you must do today is just come to Him. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.